The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through outreach, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit RestorationSouthside.org. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her, her, who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country, to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed." For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in his thoughts of their he has shattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel. In remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned home. You may be seated. If you are in kindergarten through fifth grade and you would like to go to Children's Church, please join our volunteers over by the Kids Zone sign. If it's your child's first time in Children's Church, please go with them so we can get them checked in. Thank you, John Jay. We're in the last, uh, the fourth, so the last week of Advent. Advent is a time, uh, it's Christmas, and it's a time uh, that means waiting, where we anticipate and wait for the coming of Christ, um, the coming of the Messiah. And so uh, each year there's uh, usually a particular sermon series that we're in for Advent, and this year we're looking at Matthew 1 and the, the genealogy. It's kind of that, that, that scripture that um, uh, that we skip every time because there's all these names we don't know who they are and we run through them. 
But we're looking specifically at um, the women in that genealogy, the Old Testament women. And um, it was countercultural in that day to, to mention them. Uh, but, but certainly also it would raise an eyebrow for, in that day uh, for the women that are, are mentioned. Um, that all these people in their particular lives are outsiders. And Jesus is saying, here's my 23 and me. Here are my people, my kinfolk, as my grandmother would say. Uh, here are my people, and here's who I identify with, outsiders. That some particular way, each woman listed is an outsider, and they're brought in. And Jesus says, I want them to be a part of my story and my coming up and upbringing and lineage. And so um, one way we would like to emphasize Advent is through art. Um, each year. And so it's hard to see. So come up after the service and, and take a look. But um, Chase Waller and Emily Highsmith has made this beautiful um, tower um, of a thing. And, and, it, and it features each woman in the genealogy. And it, and it features the title and the name of them being an outsider being brought in. Um, and so in that genealogy, it's uh, Tamar, Rahab, uh, Ruth, Bathsheba, and, and Mary. And so uh, here we have, uh, trying to read it, uh, widow, prostitute, foreigner, and virgin, all these different terms and phrases that Jesus says, I'm about that, and they're part of my story. So come and look at it as we finish this um, sermon series. And as we're reminded that Jesus longs uh, to know and to come for and to be known by the outsider. So uh, we'll look at three things specifically in this passage. Um, it's one that's familiar, and so I'll, I'll pray with that in mind, but, but allow yourself to be surprised by even a familiar passage. Allow yourself, if you know this, this thing well, to discover beauty and awe and wonder. And we'll look at three things. We'll look at, in this Luke 1 passage, uh, the war of stories, first. Second, we'll look at a trust that embraces. And third, we'll look at enlarging Emmanuel. And so with that in mind, uh, let's pray as we begin and study God's word together. Lord, help us when we feel like outsiders to be reminded that you are for outsiders. And Lord, when we feel like insiders, let us never be marked with hubris, but with gratitude. And this very day, Lord, would you uh, take a, maybe a familiar story, maybe a new story of the news of your coming and Christ about your mom. And would you show us more beauty about what the Advent story brings us? You're a king that comes to reign among us, but you're a particular kind of king. So this very day, would you disturb the comfortable and, and would you comfort the disturbed as we long to see you more beautiful and believable, King Jesus, this very day. We pray Christ in your name. Amen. So first, in this story, we see um, a war of stories. And so uh, we see a war of stories. We just had read for us um, kind of the excerpt about Mary. And uh, we'll get to that. But I'm going to cheat 
and talk for a quick moment about what came right before that. So what came right before um, the angel visiting Mary and telling her all these things? And it's a, it's a similar narrative, and it's about Zechariah. If you're familiar with the Bible, it may ring a bell. If you're not, um, it's a beautiful story that, that Zechariah is this um, priest, and he goes for a kind of a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to go serve in the temple. And he goes to serve in the temple, and he's an older guy, and he's married to an also older lady, and uh, she's barren, and they have no children. And he's serving in the temple, and the angel Gabriel comes to her and says, Zechariah, you will have a son. And your son's going to have this amazing imprint on his life of why he exists. And he exists because he's going to bring many who are far near. And he's going to prepare the way of the Lord. And he's going to be uh, someone who, who really does help usher in the kingdom. It's John the Baptist. And Zechariah's response to that news, that angelic visit is, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. And then after he says that, the angel Gabriel silences his mouth and says, I want to make you mute until the news I've brought you comes about. And then we hear this story about Mary right after it. And Mary is a 13, 14, 15-year-old girl, a very young girl. And she is betrothed, which means um, a million-dollar word, but it means that you're um, engaged in the process of engagement. And there's three kind of stages in that day of engagement. Engagement, um, and like a dowry, pay, you know, paying uh, for, for, for the potential of marrying someone. There's the betrothal, which is pretty much the deal is sealed. It's happening. It's just kind of that preparatory state. And then there's marriage. So she's in that middle, the deal is sealed. Um, Joseph is probably building on to his parents' house because in that day they would live kind of as a collective uh, society. And so uh, Mary is um, betrothed, um, waiting for her house to be built or her addition to be built. And she's waiting and the angel visits her and says, hey, you're gonna have a baby. And she's like, hey, how's that gonna happen? And he'll say, the power of the Most High will come upon you. And she's like, don't know what that means. She's told she's going to be a virgin birth. And she's told that how it's going to happen is that the power of the Most High will come upon her. So all of a sudden she has this, she's marked with immorality, wedlock, baby out of wedlock. And then also insanity, because no one's ever heard of what she's saying. And yet these two stories are very similar, right? Two women, two unlikely pregnancies, right? Only um, possible if God intervenes. Gabriel comes and tells them about it. And two babies that are marked with a powerful mission on their life, both different, but, but powerful. And they're marked with two different responses. And we're going to look at that. Because the position they were in, both Zechariah and Mary, they were in a story war. They were in a war of stories that, that begged for their attention and begged for them uh, to live into. And you think, okay, if there's two stories, good and bad, maybe um, uh, good and evil, and th those are dichotomies and in, in, in terms. Uh, but, but here we see a particular story war that, that they were in and I think also that we are in. That Mary and Zechariah were in a story war 
against two options. And I'm borrowing these phrases from a friend, Jim Cofield. A story of despair and a story of glory. And we'll look at the examples of it, but, but a story of despair and, and a story of glory. And there's these tension between the two. And here's what I mean by the story of despair and story of glory. That when things happen in our life, when we go through the day in and day out things or the big kind of zoom out seasonal things, we long to make sense of them. We long to articulate and put it all together and, and, and try to have it fit well. And sometimes we have and, and live into, in light of the things in our life, we choose despair. We live in the story of despair or we live in the story of glory. So let's articulate them really quick. Story of uh, despair. Despair, the story of despair demands explanation at the cost of joy. That you're, you're fine feeling despair as long as you have an explanation and can make sense of it all. Maybe it's because something is, someone's wrong to you and you're just kind of um, going to slap uh, a word on there that says, okay, they're wrong and I'm right. Uh, maybe you've experienced great pain. The, the story of despair is one that's distancing because it isolates everyone from you. And it's one that, 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 always, that always examines and dissects what's happening in your life on your own terms. All the events of your life on your own terms all at the cost of hope and joy. And here we see that with Zechariah. And Zechariah, again, he's a priest, he's in the temple. The angel comes and says, the, the thing you've longed for for years and decades is coming true. You're going to have a son that you've longed for and your wife has longed for. And his question is one of skepticism that says, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is, is well along in years. How shall I know this? He's asking out of unbelief, out of despair. He's, he, he's, he's dissecting his own story on his own terms. That's Zechariah. That's the story of despair. What's the other option? And it's the story of glory. And here's what I mean with the story of glory. It means that we're headed somewhere. We're going somewhere. Things aren't wasted it means that, uh, that, that we wait for the story to play out even amid mystery and the things that we can't make sense of, the things that happen in our lives that we can't make sense of because it's a story that matters. And it requires something of us because it's odd and difficult. And we see that in Mary. That she responds and chooses to live into the story of glory amidst the things that are happening around her and in her life. Because she knows there's more to the story. There, there's more to what's happening. She's dissecting her story and her life on God's terms. And when, when Gabriel says, all this stuff's going to happen, uh, it's going to be great, her response is, how will, I, how will this be? Right? This is impossible. And then the angel reminds her, nothing's impossible with God, along with other things. And she says, okay, I'm in. I'm in. When we look at their stories, story of despair, story of glory, we can then reflect on our own lives and very quickly recognize how we feel the tension of those two things. We don't um, always live in both of them or, or one or each, 
right? So, so sometimes we can feel like we're living in the story of glory. It could be in this room. It could be in the spiritual places of our life that we're, there's, there's a purpose and God's doing something, and that's good. And then we can also oscillate to the other story, the story of despair, where there's no reason that the chaos of my life could ever have any meaning whatsoever. These are two pendulums, but they're pendulums. And we easily can oscillate between the two as we interpret how and what is going on in our lives. And the story of despair always gives us an easier, cheaper articulation. And oftentimes cheap and easy doesn't really fill us up. But it does the job. When, um, when I graduated high school and in college, I worked in the summers landscaping. And um, my, I think my finger is always going to be fixed about right there because I spent about 40,000 million hours behind a weed eater. And I would just do this all day. And I learned two things. It's hot when it's hot. That's the first thing I learned um, based on this horrific tan that's forever emblazoned in my neck. But, but, but also I learned that um, you begin to build rhythms and you, people are smart, right? You're smart. And you begin to really see and anticipate what's going to come downstream, what's going to happen next. And so we would cut someone's yard and go and um, edge and top and all this and blow and blah, blah, all those things, different things. We put our stuff on the trailer, hop in the truck, drive to the next house, rinse, repeat. And after you do it, after a few weeks, you begin to realize that house is coming up. It's on the horizon. And so to cope with that, my best friend and I, um, we wouldn't talk about how great the day was. We wouldn't talk about these things. We would commiserate by screaming out as 18, 19, 20-year-old um, boys how, how miserable life was and how we would rather walk on nails and rather run marathons and we would rather just do anything other than cut Mr. Portachi's yard, which that was a real client we had. I didn't make that name up. And his yard was, te- his yard was terrible. It's easy to look at the horizon of things and see what's ahead or even what you're in now, your current state, and choose the story of despair because surely God can't make sense and beauty out of the chaos. It's easy to choose the story of despair instead of the story of glory. So why would we ever choose the story of glory? Because despair is always easier. And the why is because we remember that Advent is the season that we're in and we're celebrating what's happened. Jesus has come. He's the manger scene, all that stuff. That's happened. And we celebrate that. And also we anticipate that God is up to something, that God's doing something. And in fact, so much so that he's going to come back again and right every wrong that we are amidst um, a story of glory because it's moving in a direction One of my favorite um, theological minds, especially around Christmas, Fleming Rutledge, she said this, the disappointment, brokenness, suffering, and pain that characterize life in this present world is held in dynamic tension with the promise of future glory that is yet to, to come. In that Advent tension, the church lives its life. And that tension of, yes, Jesus, you've come, but but are you going to come again and make sense of the the craziness of my life? Because despair seems a whole lot more easier to say yes to than glory. 
That tension is one that we live in. And also, it's one that, that, that exists because what's coming up is true and good and will happen. We feel tension because a good thing is coming, and because of that, we can choose the story of glory where nothing will be wasted in your life. And so this morning, I ask you the question, where do you feel um, those, the war of stories? The war for despair where, God, you can't do anything with the chaos of my life. And you're dissecting your own story on your own terms. You feel that and also the story of glory. Where you feel God's plan is at work in your life, especially when it's odd and difficult. So we're at a story war. And also in this passage, we see that there's a trust that embraces. And it looks at Mary. That Mary is marked in this passage with a trust that embraces. The angel comes to her and says these things and says, hey, you're going um, to have a baby and he's going to be all these different things that we'll look at in just one second. But he's going to be all these different things and he's going to be born. And she's like, how's this going to happen? I wasn't born yesterday and I'm a virgin. And then uh, he says how it will happen. And Mary doesn't have all the answers and she doesn't respond and say, uh, no, thanks. Next girl in line, not me. She doesn't say, how dare you? She doesn't say um, how she's complaining about what's ahead. Her response is this. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. She then goes, leaves, sees Elizabeth, who's Zachariah's wife, John the Baptist's mom, the person who was just talked about before this, goes to see her relative Elizabeth, and right before she gets in the doorway, pretty much, Elizabeth's baby, John the Baptist, leaps in his womb and starts getting all excited because John the Baptist, in the womb, knows that Jesus is there in the womb. And then a song flows from Elizabeth that's beautiful, and, and it praises uh, how the Savior's come, and it also praises Mary. And, and Elizabeth says in verse 45, And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Mary's faith is commended here. Her trust in God's plan for her life is commended. But a quick note. Her trust for God's plan in her life was not naive. When the angel said, you're going to have a baby, and um, it's going to happen, and it's going to be beautiful, when she said yes to that and said, I'm, I'm a servant of the Lord, and may it be so, just like you said, she knew what she was signing up for. She was betrothed, not married, so it wasn't Joseph's kid, so the baby was uh, conceived out of wedlock. She knew what that would mean, that she would lose her life with Joseph, uh, that she could possibly be, in the law then, be stoned because of her immorality. She knew that. She wasn't naive to that. She knew that cost. She knew that she would be the social outcast with kind of the scarlet on her. That people would look at her and she's, she's someone who's marked with shame, with this unplanned pregnancy. And also, uh, and I mean this genuinely, I'm not a, I'm not a woman, but, but, but she knew that it would hurt. She knew that giving birthing a baby is painful. And yet she says yes to it. She says yes to the things she knows. And she's saying yes to the things she doesn't know too. 
because she doesn't know what she doesn't know, which is when, she, when the baby's born, they're going to have to flee uh, to Egypt. And then later on, they're going to come back and, and um, he's going to be rejected by even his own family, as well as all of his critics in the world. And also, she didn't know that probably as a widow, scholars think, she'd have to watch her son die on a cross. And yet she says yes to all of those things. And it's not naive. The reason she can say, behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word is because of the cocktail of the words of the angel, the bookends. I heard a few, saw a few eyes pop when I said cocktail. When you mix these two ingredients of the bookends of what the angel says, because of those things, she says, okay, I'm in, I'm in. And the bookends are this. The angel says, the opening words, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Hey, 13-year-old virgin, guess what? You're favored in the eyes of God. You are, you're, you're nothing from nowhere, and guess what? You're favored in God's eyes. And the very last words that, that Gabriel speaks is, for nothing is impossible with God. Your God is a God of impossibilities. When you combine those two things, Mary felt the nearness and presence of God in her life and the, the, the power of God of not being bound by impossibility. She's like, yep, I'm in. I'm in. That the God that she serves is a God of, of powerful impossibilities that's personal and near. And that's the kind of God that will be with her, protect her, that she can trust in, that will overshadow her. When the noise of her inner life is loud, when the noise of her exterior world is loud, she knows, I can trust that. I heard one preacher friend of mine say about this. He said, uh, the protection of the Most High frees her from understanding everything. Because Mary didn't know what she was signing up for even though she knew some. She didn't know everything. But she knew God is with me enough that I can trust him with what he's calling me to trust him for. The story of our lives is that God is calling us to trust in his outworking of his plan and what he's up to. Now, when we talk about trusting and trusting in God and trusting his plan for our life, it's easy to feel like, okay, and then get your hand slapped. And it's important to know that, that this is not a shame-inducing moment, that Jesus never uses shame as a motivator, ever. But actually, he invites people to trust the plan in his life. And it's never through um, naivety, which we talked about, right? We shouldn't be a head-in-the-sand people and just kind of blotting out other things. We're not called to be naive. And we're also, what word is not in here is bootstraps. We're never supposed to just pull ourselves up and just trust God more. We're called to have a trust that embraces God's plan for our life in the way that we know he's powerfully present with us. God is with you, Mary. Your name, God is with you. And guess what? Nothing's impossible for him. Nothing's impossible for this God. And she's called to trust in the waiting. This week, um, we have two children, and 
One's a few weeks old and one's a few months old. Um, a few, yeah. So, um, and so I, we, we are playing man coverage right now, man on man. And so we divide and conquer like any good parents do. And I took our oldest, our 21-month-old daughter, Teddy, I took her to run errands with me on Monday. And we had to go to two places, REI to get some gifts for Christmas, and we had to go to Publix um, to grab some groceries. And so you're, those are two places. They're out there, that world, um, the great world, but, but out there. And um, so I took Teddy with me. And I thought, okay, I'm going to go to REI first. And she's going to love it. It's a great story. And, um, but, but she's going to start to expire. And then I'll go to Publix. And Publix is a beautiful thing. This is not a sermon sponsored by Publix. But Publix gives out free cookies to kids. And it's great. So you have to kind of plan. So we did REI. And we got all of our stuff. And we were checking out. And she's starting to expire. She's just seeing everything and wanting to run around, which I don't blame her. And so I say, Teddy, and she looks at me, and I said, Cookie, and she blinked hard, and her smile cracked. She says, Cookie, 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 kind of slow, subtle, Cookie, Cookie, Cookie. We check out, and she's a peach. Um, she's great. And we, we, we are walking out the door, and she keeps saying, Cookie, 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 cookie. And then uh, we get to the car. I load the stuff in the car and I load her in the car. And she realizes I'm going in that car seat and there's no cookie in that car seat. I've been duped. You duped me, dad. And I put her in the car seat and for the 62 second drive from REI to Publix, a parking lot, she exclaims, cookie, 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 as she's crying and sobbing and screaming and yelling because she's been duped. She feels duped. And then we go into Publix and we get the, the C-O-O-K-I-E. The time between being promised something and it coming to fruition, sometimes it's short. Sometimes it's really long. And you've been promised something in your life that you're waiting on God to come through on. And you're waiting. And maybe some other people around you have gotten that fulfillment, but you're still waiting. And it's an encouraging thing to know that Mary trusts in a God that she says yes to because he's near her and she's promised something, a son who will do all these great things. And, and it won't just take a few weeks and months for the baby to be birthed. And then everyone's like, okay, well, all good now. It takes actually years and decades. Actually, she's going to watch him die 33 years later. And what I would offer is that Mary would have thought it shocking for us to be talking about her in 2022 commending her for her faith as she waited from the promise of something to the fulfillment of it because it was a long time waiting. And in that long time waiting, she felt deeply misunderstood. Where do you feel misunderstood in your life as you're waiting for God to move on a promise he said he will fulfill? And you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting. And that tension and that gap between a promise being made and the fulfillment of that promise, God is inviting us into the knowledge that Mary has, which is 
He is with you and he's, he, you found favor in his eyes. You, he's with you. He's found favor with you. And also, nothing's impossible for that kind of God as we wait for that promise, whatever it is, to come to fruition. Where in your life do you need to say the words, take up the words of Mary? Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Lastly, and we'll land the plane here, enlarging Emmanuel. Now, that's alliteration, but, but it really does fit the text. Mary's last couple of verses are a song that she sings, and it's called the Magnificat. And it's the Magnificat, what fancy word that people put on uh, portions of the Bible, uh, because the opening words say, uh, my soul magnifies the Lord. Magnificat, magnify. And she talks about that, and she's saying, Lord, I want, I want my vision of you to be magnified, exploded, enlarged, zoomed in on. Because your son is coming, I want to know more about you and make you more a part of the entirety of my life. And so uh, she's doing that because she knows and holding on to the fact that the baby in her womb is the very person the entirety of history longs for. It's been a hard history. We'll talk about that Christmas Eve. It's been a long history leading up to this point. And the angel says things, and she's like, he's the one to come. And she's waiting and waiting for him to come. And she's saying, as I wait for him to come, and as I I mother this child, would you magnify your presence in my life, Lord? Because she's banking on the fact that her son is what the angel says he is. He is, starting in verse 32, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. He's God's son. He's God's son. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. David was the most amazing king there was in the eyes of the people. And guess what? That's not David's throne. It's Christ's throne. He's going to be the king of everything. And he'll reign over the house of Jacob forever. He will eternally reign always. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Everything we see, all power, dominion, everything is his. He owns it all. And Mary's saying, okay, I want to enlarge in my view of that kind of God. I want to magnify and make bigger that kind of view of God. And because of that, she sings a song. And in the song, she kind of gets at two things. She talks about, in the first section, how, how the humble are lifted up. And how God allows the humble to be lifted up. And also, how the proud are humbled in the second half. And those two things, those two um, dispositions and movements really are what Christ is all about. Because in two cha- three chapters, Christ will go to the temple and start his ministry and he'll roll open the scroll. And um, we open the Bible sometimes, like playing Bible roulette of just trying to find something. But he intentionally rolls open the scroll to Isaiah. Long scroll. It's rolled open to Isaiah. And here's what he says. In, Isaiah, uh, in Luke 4, Quoting Isaiah, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Christ said, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the liberty of the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's what Christ has come to do. 
And it's a good reminder that he's come for those who are humble to lift them up. Those who are weak and needy and have a category and a hungering and a longing for him to bring something good. Because a story of glory longs for something good to come. Abraham Cho said this way, uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ is this great surprise that salvation is a free gift for the weak, needy, repentant, not an exclusive reward for the strong, capable, righteous. So as Mary is weak and needy and repentant, as we look back and forward, in order for us to assume a position of being weak and needy and dependent, we have to be still. The more busy we are and the more fast we are and the more things that that, that fill us up and give us some kind of mirage of something, whatever it is, can distract us from magnifying God. I'm not saying um, become a monk. What I am saying is in order to see God more enlarged and see the Emmanuel, God with us, enlarged and, and zoomed in on, it's important to be still. And it's the most busiest time of the year. So it's important to slow down and be still. So um, that's what we're going to do. We're going to have some nothing time. I'm going to invite you to close your eyes and just be still for a moment. Practice it. I'm going to read a few scriptures that we just read. I'm going to pray. And then we're going to sing. And then you can go get lunch. Okay? Together, let's be still. The angel said to Mary, Your son will be these things, he will be great. and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Christ said, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Lord, help us see your son magnified, high and lifted up as he has come low and forgottenable. In a time where it seems like our uh, agendas are amplified in the Christmas season that, that we don't 
feel like others are enough or we don't feel like we ourselves are enough, would you remind us, Lord, that you're a God who comes to us, that you're with us. We find favor in your eyes. And also, Lord, that nothing is impossible for you. May that very Christmas cocktail be for us a stilling prescription as we slow down and magnify what it means that the God of all things has come, has been born so that he can come and die, so that he can raise, so that he can intercede for us this very moment, so that he can come and make all things new again. All because he longs to be with his people. Lord, we wait for you to return again. And in our waiting, help us be still and magnify you, Emmanuel. We pray, Christ, in your name. Amen. His people. Lord, we wait for you to return again. And in our waiting, help us be still and magnify you, Emmanuel. We pray, Christ, in your name. Amen.